listening to Metal Exchange, a Shipboard interview series. Today we're going to be talking about banks, bailouts, and bad bets. Greetings, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this hastily put together episode of Metal Exchange. If you are a regular reader of the Shift Gold website over at shiftgold.com news, you are familiar with Tony. He does all of the articles in our Exploring Finance series. He does the articles with uh, all the data and charts. And uh, we were emailing back and forth the other day talking about the situation with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and the bailouts and the way the markets have reacted. And as we were kind of going back and forth, we thought, you know, we should just like get together, get on microphones and record a conversation about this and just talk a little bit about our thoughts on what has gone on over the last couple of weeks. And we call it or I decided to call it banks, bailouts, and bad bets. Bad bets referring to kind of the way the market is thinking that the Fed has got all of this under control. Because as you will garner from our conversation, neither Tony nor I think that uh, anything is remotely under control. But uh, this is just really us kind of talking off the top tops of our heads, discussing um, how we see these bailouts playing out, the impact of these bailouts as we move down the road and kind of talking a little bit about what the Federal Reserve might be doing. Uh, This was recorded on Tuesday afternoon before the Fed meeting. So if you're listening to this after Wednesday, uh, you'll know what the Fed has done. We speculate a little bit about it so you can see if we're right or not. But um, I'm going to go ahead and bring Tony on. and I hope you enjoy this kind of impromptu discussion. Uh, I, I think you'll get some value out of it. I think we cover a lot of interesting ground. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Tony on now. All right, I'm here with uh, Tony. Tony writes a lot of our uh, kind of technical and data analysis over at shiftgold.com. And uh, we thought we would take a little bit of time this morning and talk about uh, the bailouts, and yes, they are bailouts, ladies and gentlemen, um, and kind of the traje- trajectory of gold, what the Fed might do, and just kind of look at uh, where we are and what's ahead. How you doing, Tony? Good, good, Mike. How you been? Doing good. It's been a crazy, crazy week or so. You know, the thing that's kind of funny to me uh, as I absorb the mainstream analysis of this is how many people are like, we didn't see this coming. <laughs> and uh, and you and I've been uh, have have been talking about something breaking uh, for months and months now. In fact, you wrote a really good article uh, over at shiftcold.com slash news uh, on and the title is "And Something Broke." Um, I didn't have any idea what would break. Uh, I just knew something was bound to break because we have an economy that's built on easy money and quantitative easing and artificially low interest rates, and they've taken that away to some extent anyway. And so it's inevitable. You take the drug away from a drug addict and the drug addict is going to go into withdrawal. So we we knew it was going to happen, maybe not in this specific way. Um, was how it played out a surprise to you? Or did you kind of see it maybe being in the banking sector? Or what's kind of what was your initial reaction when you saw the news breaking? Yeah, I mean, in in the article that you reference, I, I actually referenced an article I wrote back in September where I listed like ten or fifteen things that could kind of go wrong, right? And and you just don't know. 
right? But when the tide goes out, you see who's been swimming naked and it takes time for these things to manifest, right? right. So like you said, we knew something was going to happen, but we didn't know where. And and now everybody's saying, oh, well, this is a one-off SVB. They had a very unique position and they didn't manage their book well. And, you know, they weren't rate hedged and all these things. And it's like, sure, okay. In the rear view mirror, now you can see all that stuff. Just like in 2008, in the rear view mirror, you can see right. all that. But, but people who I think understand Austrian economics and understand the foundation of what happens when you just print a bunch of money and give it to people is that it creates malinvestment. And mm-hmm. and you take it away, that kind of shows up. And so I don't think we're done here. I think the, the moves by the Fed, which we can talk about in more detail, but I think it is kind of a, a genius move in what they've done. You know, I've made the analogy. I think they're, you know, having their cake and eating it too um, in what they've done. And so... So, but, but they fixed one problem and yeah. they don't lower rate soon. Other things are going to happen as well and yeah. something else will break. And then what do they do? I hate to say that the fed did something brilliant, but I think that, you know, in the kind of looking at it, it encapsulated in what specifically happened with, with SVB and signature bank, the, the fix that they did was pretty smart from from their perspective um that being said i totally agree with you in fact in my podcast on friday um i i used the analogy of a dam and you know you i know that there was a cartoon somewhere and i wish i could i could find it but you know the the dam has a crack and the guy sticks his finger in it and then there's a crack over here and he sticks his finger in that one and then there's another crack and he's like trying to get his toe in that hole and right. I, I feel like that's what the fed's doing because as you said, this is certainly not going to be the first thing that breaks. Uh, and maybe they have managed to paper over this situation. That remains to be seen. I, I think there's still a lot of instability in the banking system. But um, I, I think the biggest issue they face right now is the middle tier banks, right? Yeah, because yeah. they basically said your deposits are safe at the too big to fail and the ones that we deem systemically important. So anybody who's got over $250,000 right now in a bank account that is not at one of those banks, if they're not taking their money out, I don't know what they're doing, right? You mentioned the fact that you can get a higher yield somewhere else, but, you know, they know that there's now a risk there. And so I think the next move by the Fed might be to guarantee all deposits for a period of time. Well, it's funny that you say that because... uh, I, I was perusing the email that I get every morning from Seeking Alpha, and one of the uh, one of the headlines is. I mean, I can just pull it up. I actually tweeted this out a little while ago on the Shift Gold Twitter. Um, let's see, or maybe I haven't tweeted it out yet. Yeah, it says officials at the U.S. Treasury Department are reportedly studying ways to guarantee all bank deposits. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, and they can't do it without a uh, without a congressional act. So they're doing what politicians always do in that situation. They're trying to uh, find some emergency powers that they can tap in to do. But that's you're exactly right. I mean, and they have to do that. That was kind of the two pronged approach that they took on this. Number one, they had to stem the panic, so they made sure that everybody knew that depositors at Signature and SVB would have all of their money accessible. Um, And, you know, in a sense that at that point, they basically conceded that all deposits are now insured. I mean, they haven't uh, codified it in any way, shape or form, but 
that's the precedent. I mean, you can't very yeah. well go to the next group and say, oh, well, you're out of luck. So right. that was the intention. They want people in the back of their minds to say, okay, my deposits are safe. I'm not going to pull them out of the bank. That was kind of the first uh, first prong. And then, of course, the second prong was this um, was this loan program that a lot of people are calling quantitative easing. And, and I kind of get that because it's, in effect, it's a lot like quantitative easing. But uh, what they're really doing is they're, they've, they've created, and this is what's brilliant, they've created this system this mechanism where a bank can go and borrow money against their bond portfolio at face value, knowing that that bond portfolio has significantly devalued. So if they were to have to sell, which is what exactly happened to SVB, they were forced to sell that portfolio to raise capital, they're going to lose a bunch of money on it. Now they can go to the Fed. The Fed's going to give them the capital that they need, at least for a year, uh, based on the face value of these bonds. And so in a sense, they have lowered the interest rate on these bonds and raised their value. Uh, And meanwhile, they can still go into the larger system and say, oh, we're still fighting inflation. We're still going to do rate cuts. We're still going to do quantitative tightening. And if you look at the balance sheet, you can see that they uh, extended $300 $300 billion plus in loans uh, over the first week of this program. And they actually did shed some treasuries and mortgage-backed securities from their balance sheet. So yeah. it's just like you said, they have their cake and eat it too. They can fix this problem that they created for the banks, this one thing that broke, and yet still pretend like they're going to continue in the inflation fight. And I think what they're trying to do from a, from a, uh, I think their strategy here, and I'm sure they wouldn't admit this in public, but this has to be what they're thinking. If we can just kick the can down the road for a year, maybe we can get CPI low enough where we can plausibly say we have victory over inflation and then we can pause rate hikes and maybe even do some rate cuts and everything will be okay. I think that's what they're thinking and what they're trying to do. Now, can they yeah. walk that tightrope? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think that's definitely what they're doing. And, and in a way, I would not be surprised if Powell came out. I mean, I, I think 25% is on the table or yeah. 25 bips is on the table. I think the chance of zero and 50 is probably actually even at this point. Um, And the reason why is because with the liquidity that they're adding, you know, it it is QE in the sense that it's adding liquidity into the banking system. The only reason why it's not true QE is because it's, it's a one year agreement versus an indefinite agreement. Right. right? But, but the thing is, is if you think about it, they could raise 50 bips tomorrow and say it's, it's counteracting what they're doing now. Right. Right. And so in a way, there's no easing, there's no tightening mm-hmm. by doing that. And then if you think about it, fast forward a year, they can be cutting rates while they're then undoing this program and be still in the same boat of not really tightening, not really easing. And so in a way, the tightening cycle has ended, um, right. right? And and if they raise tomorrow, it's not that they're tightening, it's that they're counterbalancing what they're doing with their balance sheet. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, hopefully... They, they think they can pull it off, and I like you said, I don't think they can make it another year with interest rates this high. No, I don't either, because again, that, that next hole is going to appear in the dam. And, you know, talking about this being, it's, it's, it is ostensibly temporary liquidity. So they're printing money out of thin air. That's a fact. They are injecting it into the banking system. That is a fact. They have effectively created $300 billion in inflation over the last week. That's a fact. But 
they would probably argue, oh, this is, you know, in a year, it's all going to come back out. This isn't, you know, this isn't monetization or anything like that. And I cannot help but go back to 2008, Ben Bernanke sitting in front of Congress when they launched QE1 and him saying, oh, no, 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 we're not monetizing the debt here. This is an emergency measure. We're going to sell all of these bonds after the emergency is over. You know, this is not monetization of the debt. And of course, we all know exactly what happened. They didn't even try to shrink the balance sheet and what until what like 2017 2018 uh, and then that lasted all of a year before the stock market got all shaky and they reversed course and we're actually back into quantitative easing and uh, interest rate cuts before covid i think a lot of people forget that they think covid caused this they were already back they yep. they were reaping the the consequences of the 2008 qe before the coronavirus, and I think the coronavirus was a was kind of a blessing in disguise for the Fed because it allowed them to basically put QE and, and easing on steroids because they had an excuse. So you know, worked out nicely for them. But yeah. uh, <clears throat> and, and and you're right. I mean, they, they're sitting here. This is a temporary one year program. But what happens in a year when all these banks now need to repay these loans? Right. Right. You know, are they hoping that they've got enough deposits to do it? I don't know. I mean, again, I don't think we're going to make it a full year. I think the story will play out before then. Um, but we'll see. I mean, you know, they've been able to kick the can pretty far so far. So yeah. I'm, I'm always I'm always surprised a little bit by the capacity for the powers that be to kick the can down the road. I mean, you know, I. You go back to 2008, and I wasn't nearly as as savvy about this stuff in 08. You know, I was I was I was probably more mainstream in my thinking. Uh, I, I was I, I had the typical Republican talking point at the time was that this was because of the government tried to subsidize housing, which was certainly part of the the equation. But I didn't understand the the Fed's role and and the boom bust cycle and, and those types of things at the time. Um, but now, you know, you're looking at it; it's 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 very clear what's going to happen and what is happening. And it's just surprising sometimes that they're able to keep able to keep the ball rolling down the road. Yeah. Um, Until something breaks. And then, I mean, again, what, what, what shocks me the most is nobody has called up Powell. I mean, March 7th, March 8th, I think it was, he's testifying to Congress. Everything is fine. Everything is sound. We're good. We're going to keep raising rates. And four days later, right. four Days later, he is in emergency meetings all weekend on how to save the financial system. Right, but and it's so, always the it's always the same excuse at the time, right? It's contained. This is a one off. This is just you know, and and then of course you've got the Elizabeth Warrens of the world. They're going to run out and say, "Oh, it's because of deregulation," you know. So it's always the same script. You know, it's it's always transitory, temporary. This isn't really a problem, and, and then nobody will acknowledge it's a problem until you know. 2024, 2025, and they'll look back and go, oh, yeah, that was a problem. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's kind of frustrating in a way from from my position and in, in, in yours, I'm sure, because it's like we, we keep saying these things. And then every day that they're able to put it off, people are like, oh, you're just crying wolf, you know? Right. Um, but the fundamentals are are there, no doubt, right? And, and you know, I look at mostly fundamentals. I do some technical look at price right. and stuff just to kind of see where I think short-term traders are positioning. But at the end of the day, the fundamental picture for me hasn't changed, right. um, you know, and, and eventually the game will be up right and and they'll play their hands but yeah. you're i think they're hoping the cpi comes down enough that they can then just lower rates 
and go back to that easy money, low inflation economy that we had before COVID. And uh, I, I see a very narrow window in which they can pull that off. Yeah. And, and I think you're going to see, this is just my speculation, because as as things unfold with government policies and, and things that ultimately are, are falling apart, they always move the goalposts. So, and and we've already actually heard a little bit of this. Well, maybe 2% is not a reasonable target. Maybe it should be 3%. So you, you can also see this scenario in which, or they'll, or they'll try to find some other metric. You know, we, we started hearing about super core inflation yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, all of a sudden they've invented this thing. Let's Let's just strip everything out of the CPI and then it'll be zero. So, so they're going to find ways to, to propagandize and gaslight and message. And and it's up to us to keep pointing out, but as you say, the fundamentals, and that's the the brilliance, I think of, of the work that you do and the stuff that you write, you take the data as it's coming out and you put that in the context of the bigger picture and the fundamentals. And it is important to, to see that data because a lot of traders out there are just responding knee jerk to the day to day. Uh, changes, you know. And, um, so let's talk a little bit about the way the markets have have reacted to all of this, because that, of course, has been interesting. We we saw a big sell off in stocks initially with the with the bailouts, especially in the banking stocks. Uh, we had a big rally in gold. Uh, we went from you know kind of hovering around there in the uh, 1850 range, and now we're hovering around there in the 1950 range. We actually were close to broaching two thousand dollars an ounce. Um, over the last couple of days, futures went above $2,000 an ounce. Uh, right. And then we're seeing some selling pressure today. Um, so it is interesting to see how, you know, because, because again, the markets by and large are responding kind of day to day. You've got some people out there, obviously, that are, that are more long term, but a lot of people are just trying to figure, okay, how can I make, make a few bucks today? How do you see particularly the, uh, the trajectory of gold? You wrote an article, um, a uh, I guess it was late last week, early this week. I can't remember. It all runs together. But talking yeah. about the fact that this is a very important week for gold in terms of uh, the trajectory over the the next you know weeks or so. How do you kind of see this playing out? What are some of the factors involved here? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. But uh, if you know, I, I would say the the thing that's interesting to me, uh, th- there's many factors, right? First off, there was a huge flight to safety last week into mm-hmm. gold. Um, and also of- into bonds as well. I mean, we saw right. the, in, in dollars, we right. saw and, a big jump in dollars. And I think a lot of people will realize like, Hey, we might have more inflation than we, than we thought. Right. Um, the stock market held up surprisingly well, actually mm-hmm. last week, even though the, the VIX, the volatility index was jumping. The stock market really hung in there, um, yeah. and and I think it's because people knew the Fed were going were to come to the rescue. Right. Um, the reason why I paint this as a very important week for gold is because of that two thousand mark. Mm-hmm. It has been really struggling with that. I mean, if you think all the way back to two thousand eleven, I think gold hit nineteen eleven, nineteen fifteen, right in there. Mm-hmm. So it's getting very close, and it just couldn't couldn't make the trip up, right? And this is technicals. And it trades on the futures market with the COMEX, and you've got shorts and longs on both sides kind of mm-hmm. battling for a position. And if the move goes too far in one way, you know, the other side of the traders will will start, you know, pushing it back the other way. Right. Um, and that's just the way that that 
something like gold, which doesn't have a, a dividend or, you know, a balance sheet or anything, right. that's how it trades. It trades like a currency. And so, um, you know, I think the price will inevitably go much higher. But in the short term, the reason why I think this week is so important is because if, you know, if it's able to get through 2000 and the Fed comes out dovish, and they come out and they they kind of fold and they say that they're done. Um, I think we could see gold blast right through two thousand because yeah. people will realize that the game is up. Mm-hmm. If they come out, and I, I actually am starting to lean that they're going to do this, where they'll come out twenty five basis points and actually paint a hawkish message: yeah. we're not done. Inflation's not beat. You know, we recognize there's risks, but we can step in and do those things. But we have got the tools, right? We've got (laughs) the tools. I guarantee you those words are going to come out of Jerome Powell's mouth tomorrow. We've got the tools. Exactly. Um, You know, in that message, I think could drive gold right back towards 1900 and probably below. Um, And again, the reason why it's so important is because if if it's able to get through that 2000, you know, I think we could see a very quick move to 2200 and then we're off to like potentially real price discovery. Um, I think what will happen eventually, and and again, it might not be this week, but it will happen um, is people will wake up and say, I need something other than fiat dollars. Yeah. And that's when they're going to go. And, you know, another article I published has to do with the COMEX and the available. Right. I wanted to touch on that too. Um, in, in the vaults, right? And you talk about a bank run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people at SVB were going to get 90 cents on the dollar, right? right. And we're upset about that. When you look at the amount of paper ounces being traded versus the physical ounces available, I mean, you're talking about a way different scenario. For yeah. gold, you're talking 25 cents on the dollar. And for silver, yes. you're talking six cents on the dollar, mm-hmm. right? Now, all of these traders don't want physical delivery, but I mean, that's what's out there. If you think about the claim on the asset right. underneath, that's what we're talking. And so I think eventually there will be a move where people will say, hey, it's time for us to get our, our you know, we want to cash out our paper for, for real chips. Now, people say, okay, well, the COMEX has all these rules that allow them to cash settle and whatnot. And it's like, fine. But if people see that, they're going to find other ways to try and get physical. Right. And when that happens, the price is going to move up. If people start seeing the COMEX pulling out there, oh, we're going to cash settle you and whatnot, they're going to find other ways. And the price. Right. I think that would increase the panic. Yes, exactly. I think it would increase the panic and it would increase the move into physical. And that's why, you know, we write about this, but it's you should get your physical while you can, because there there could be a point where you're paying huge premiums or, you know, there could be three, six, 12 month wait lists for for getting physical because that's how backed up supplies are. It's been an interesting year, you know, when you look at the at the gold market. I hear a lot of folks that are frustrated. Uh, They they don't understand why gold hasn't run higher given the fact that we've seen historically high inflation and and you know that's certainly a, a valid question and there's a lot of factors that play into it i think part of it is just market psychology i really think that the vast majority of people still have faith in the system they still think central bankers you know they make some mistakes here and there but they've got it pretty much under control and and you know it, it'll it'll probably be okay we may have a little bit more inflation but we're not going to have hyper you know it it's this it's this kind of sanguine sense that everything is is it's bad but it's not awful and horrible i, I think that plays into a lot of of what's going through people's heads in the markets and peter Sch- Schiff keeps saying and and i agree with him that at some point the, the majority of people, the average investor is going to wake up and realize 
this is not under control. You know, this inflation is is not over. And then at that point, they are going to want to flee from from the the dollars and the fiat currencies and and hold gold and real money. And we're seeing that in some sectors. You know, you see the the uh, very high levels of uh, gold buying by certain central banks. Um, yep. You know, and most of them are either emerging market or enemies of the U.S. I use enemies in quotes, uh, but but folks that don't want to be exposed to dollars because they realize that the the U.S. government often uses the dollar as kind of a foreign policy tool. Um, but you know those those reasons exist for us as individuals as much as they do for countries. As far as you know, you might want to limit your exposure to this this very risky, unbacked act. Um, unbacked asset. And the other thing that we've seen that I think is interesting is despite um, the the kind of perception that, oh, gold isn't doing well, gold's dead, you know, you'll hear people say that, uh, gold demand was actually up significantly in 2022, particularly as you uh, alluded to physical. Um, coin and bar sales were extremely high last year. So there are people out there, while the paper traders uh, are maybe sanguine, there are people out there that are stockpiling physical metal. We've seen it with the with the exodus from metal from the comics vaults. We've seen it with uh, the retail sales and the retail demand. So there are people out there that are looking for gold, but so far the price hasn't responded to that. And, and well, I, yeah, and 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 I agree. I think true price discovery is still a ways off, but but people have been complaining about the underperformance of gold. But but let's look at something. Before COVID, you know, I just pulled up a chart. Gold was trading, you know, this is back in March. So, you know, not even not not even that far. But gold was trading at, let's see, back in 2018, twelve hundred dollars, mm-hmm. right? And back in 2019, late 2019, $1,500 is now at $1,950. Right. Right. Because people want forming asset. And, people and people want to go to 2011. That's the yeah. date. All, all of the naysayers go to 2011, which was kind of when gold peaked after the, the 08. Yeah, it, it got it got hey, it got ahead of itself. There's no yeah. question. Um, and true price discovery didn't happen then, right? I mean, the the, the the system teetered, but they got it back on track. You know, but but if you look at just even last year, I, I would have preferred to hold gold than the S P or anything. Well, absolutely. Else. I mean, gold gold uh, charted a small gain in 2022. It was literally one of the best performing assets out there. And granted, it wasn't, you know, you you weren't getting yourself rich, but if you were invested in, you know, general S&P 500 or the Dow or the NASDAQ or Bitcoin or all of these other uh, assets, bonds, all of those uh, way performed below gold. So gold did its job. Um, It it diversified your portfolio. It it took risk out of your portfolio. Um, But yeah, I think the people who are claiming big underperformance are looking for that true price discovery. And and again, I I think we will get there. I think it will happen at some point. Um, I don't, you know, uh, if, if if the Fed were to come out tomorrow and say there's too much risk in the financial system, we've got to back off or even do a rate cut, then yes, I think you're going to see gold right. pass off. I don't I don't think they're going to do that. I think they need to save some face. I think, I think so, they too. need you know they just came out to Congress. I think they need to reiterate some of that message, knowing like we said they've kind of got this back door where they're telling all the banks, hey, you can get as much money as you need from us. Mm-hmm. But they're going to come out and tell a tough message. What they're not telling you is that the easing cycle has 
basically start it back up again right and that the tightening cycle is over right and 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 you can do that by looking at the data like you said the 300 billion added on their balance sheet um that's coming into the financial system is is basically undoing any rate cut that they're currently you know rate hike that they're currently planning right. to so to me it's a fully optics move it is not a move that they're doing because they believe in it i think they're doing it at this point to save face and that is why they will do it yeah i think you're absolutely correct and uh you know again to reiterate they they've backstopped the banking system but the situation that many of these banks are in um it's not confined to the banking system. You have corporations that are significantly over leveraged that are struggling with rate hikes. You have individual consumers that have run up record credit card debt in, a, in an environment where credit card interest rates are above 20% now for the first time ever, you know, as an average. Uh, you have the U.S. federal government that right now it, it's, it's kind of a, uh, Kind of a good place if you're the U.S. Treasury because you can't borrow any money. Uh, they're they're playing the uh, extraordinary measures game to kind of limp along until they decide they're going to raise the debt ceiling. But once that debt ceiling raises, the Treasury is going to have to go out and sell a boatload of bonds really fast, which will be interesting to see how that impacts the uh, the Treasury market. So there's all of these things um, that the decades of loose monetary policy have created uh, that have yet to break and unwind. So, you know, it's kind of like point your finger, spin the wheel, spin the bottle. It's going to point at something with the potential to break. So, um, yeah. again, and, you know, I've, I've talked about this a lot. I get the feeling that you're kind of in the same mindset. We live in a world now where everything is, is kind of been compressed into the 24-hour news cycle and the 30-second sound bite in the microwave and everything's fast and we expect everything to unfold fast. And I keep going back and, and looking at how things unfolded uh, going into the 2008 financial crisis. And, and you look at 2006, 2007, the Fed was already cutting interest rates before we got to the financial crisis. So, a lot of times it takes a while for this stuff to bubble through. Um, I think sometimes, and I do this too, I think, oh my gosh, they just did this. This is going to collapse. And I think, you know, in a month or a year, sometimes it takes, you know, many months, even multiple years for some of this stuff to unfold. And I think it's important for people that are looking long-term uh, and that are not just trying to play the, the ups and downs in the markets on a daily basis. It's important to keep those fundamentals in sight and to keep, uh, the the fact in in mind that you know it's it's not an instantaneous thing when when the Fed raises interest rates that doesn't mean that you're going to see the impacts of it tomorrow you don't see the impact of three billion dollars of of new money you're not going to see that next week uh, you know it may be six months before we really start to see that manifesting however it may in the financial system so it's important to keep kind of a long eye on things and not get too caught up in today's headline. Yeah, no, I completely agree. These things always take longer to unfold than, than you imagine. And and some of that's just because, like, you know, people are locked in at, at certain interest rates, right? And it takes a while right. for that to roll over, right? We've only been at elevated interest rates for a year now, not even. Right. Not even. Uh, um, you know, they only started a year ago. And so when you think about it, you've got a lot of corporations that have two, three, four-year debt. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that takes time to roll over. Right. Um, one of the one of the other analysis that I do is looking at the the federal government and their debt 
servicing costs and their rollover issues. And, and they're in a much tighter bond because they have a lot of short-term paper. um, And a lot of that is already rolled over. And so when you look at the interest expenses on the debt, I mean, that has been ballooning. They can afford it. A lot of corporations can't. And so it's only a matter of time before that stuff starts to trickle through and and play out. Um, So we'll see. But like I said, I mean, I want the insurance. To me, the data is pretty clear of kind of where we're heading. I don't know when we'll get there necessarily, but um, you know, I'd rather have the insurance policy before something happens rather than after. <laughs> and to me, uh, gold is that insurance policy. Yeah. R- running to state farm, uh, when your house catches on fire is probably not going to do you a lot of good. Um, exactly. <laughs> please write me a policy. My house is burning down. That's, that's not <laughs> going to happen. And I mean, we've already seen it, you know, a, a good leg up and, um, you know, I, it's, it's kind of fun to, when you're not, so focused on the day to day. I know people that look, Oh my God, I lost, you know, however much money in my portfolio today. Eh, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'm not pulling it out today. So no biggie. So it is kind of fun to watch, um, and, and see that. Yeah. As it plays out, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, three or four months ago, I might've been looking at some of, some of the gold and silver that I bought and thinking, yeah, now looking at it, thinking, well, that, that played out well, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Again, I think when you buy it, you've got to think about it more like an insurance policy. Um, you know, if you're paying, yeah. And, and again, I write that technical analysis piece just to kind of, it's more of like a fun analysis to look at the short term. Yeah. Uh, to me, it doesn't change the fundamental picture. To right. me, that's that's trying to understand the day to day movement in a price of an asset that is traded on a futures market. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, the true price of gold is is the currency of the world, and it's your, you know, that's how you should measure your wealth. Right. Um, and the price today or the price six months ago is, is almost irrelevant uh, right. at the end of the day. And and again, the fundamental picture will drive it. At some point, we will see price discovery. And when we do, you know, I think you'll regret not having enough ounces. Right. Exactly. And and uh, you know, it's it's um, it's I lost my train of thought right there. I had a good thought, but it's gone. <laughs> you always do, Mike. Oh, well. good train of thought. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this up. It's it's been a good discussion. Hopefully, people gain a little bit of insight, um, and, and maybe we'll revisit this uh, next week after we see what exactly the Fed does because it is going to be interesting. Um, this this time around, there is a little bit of mystery uh, as to exactly what the Fed's going to do, how they're going to message this, how Powell's going to play all of this. Um, like I said, I'm sure you'll hear a lot of phrases like, we've got the tools in the toolbox, everything's under control, this is contained. Uh, I guarantee you're going to hear that. But uh, yeah. kind of trying to dig into really what direction they're going will be interesting. So The phrase the phrase that I'm waiting for, and just, just looking at the market right now, you've got an 18% chance they don't do anything, which means the market's pretty much guaranteeing that they're going to do something. Right. The phrase that I'm looking for is, we've proven that we can battle inflation. And we've proven we've got the tools to fight it. We, you know, not we can do it, but we've proven that proven we can. We, yeah. Therefore, we're going to pause now, knowing that we can come back to this fight if we need to. Right. To me, that will be kind of the phrasing that I see where you know that the hard pivot is coming because yeah. Yeah. what they're going to try and do is they're going to try and lay out. And, and I don't know if we're there yet. I still think we're going to see a bit more of a hawkish pal tomorrow. That's my gut too. That's my gut too. Um, you know, but again, if 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 something else breaks, then they're going to look even worse. I put it this way: I don't want to be in his shoes right now. Uh, 
you know, but he painted himself into this corner. So, well, yeah. And, and, and Peter Schiff is hammered on this fact, you know, that the people that we're looking to, and when I say we, I don't mean you and I say we like broader society, the very people that they're looking for to fix the problem are the ones that created the problem in the first place. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and it is frustrating when you see, uh, you know, Powell and Janet Yellen and, and, and those folks running around acting like, Oh, we've got this under, you caused this, you smucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and that's the other thing. And, you know, you listen to these other people talk about 08 and greed and blah, blah, blah. And it's so frustrating that people don't actually point the finger at the Fed and yep. say, no, 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 no. Forget everything else. It's cheap money from the Fed that drove up real estate costs. Right. And, yep. and, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial and buying a house sucks. Yep. Why? Because 10 years before I was ready, they were just driving down uh, interest rates, which drove prices up. Right. And and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I didn't ride that wave. And so it's, it's unfortunate. Um, but nobody puts the blame where it belongs. Nope. Although there's, there's, there are people out there. You just got to find them. Yep. Great book. If, if folks are looking for some reading material and you want to go back and revisit 2008 meltdown by Tom Woods is a really good, uh, really good resource. Easy to read. Um, he was one of the first people to actually come out with the book explaining from an Austrian perspective why the 2008 financial crisis happened. So uh, there's there's your reading assignment for this week. Cool. Mike, always good to talk to you. I Likewise, Tony. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss again, and, and folks can uh, check out Tony's work over at shiftgold.com slash news, as well as all the stuff that I write, um, Peter's videos, all kinds of stuff there. And if you're interested in learning more about investing in precious metals, how silver and gold might fit into your investment portfolio, highly recommend talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist. Don't put it off. Do it today. You can call 1-888-GOLD-160. You can email them at info at shiftgold.com, or you can just go to shiftgold.com, click on the Getting Started tab, and you can chat right online with one of these guys. They're fantastic, and they're going to listen to you. They're going to listen to your uh, your goals, your needs, where you are, and, and help you see how uh, gold and silver might fit into that investment portfolio. So do that today, and with that, we'll wrap this up. And uh, Tony, hope you have a great afternoon. Thanks. You too, Mike.